privilege to be with you this evening to share a, a portion of God's Word. Um, a stranger to not all, but to many of you, and maybe a word of how I actually ended up somehow getting here. It was, uh, well, over a year ago I met Mark. We were at a grandparents' day, and he wasn't being a, a grandparent. He was filling in, and uh, we were done a little exercise, and he had a shirt that said Cape Town, and I just looked at him. We were really close. I said, is that shirt for real? And he said, yeah. I said, you've been to Cape Town? And I thought, I've been to Cape Town. Anyways, to make a longer story short, I said, well, I, I ended up in a little town called Meisenberg to visit George Whitfield College. Oh, yeah, I said, I've spoken there. Well, I, <laughs> away we went. We got chatting, and then uh, I uh, told him a bit about myself, and I said, you have a card. He said, no, just Google my name. And I remember thinking, who is this arrogant guy? Just, just <laughs> Google my name. Anyways, we did, and we listened to a, a message online, and then we attended. And we were in a place of, at that point, uh, stepping back, and uh, with no particular church that we were attending. And uh, as they say, the, the rest isn't entirely history, but we continued to attend at the, at the Surrey uh, campus in Clayton Heights, and been watching uh, online in, in the evenings. The passage, Matthew 11, is, continues from where uh, was read earlier by Doug, verse 25. And I don't have the page in, in your pew Bible, otherwise you can simply listen. But Matthew 11, um, verses 25 to 30. At that time... Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over, committed to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly or humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Pray with me. Lord God, <clears throat> we thank you for these words of Jesus, these, these prayer, this prayer, and this call for us to come to him. Help us to understand these words and to receive your call, to always hear your voice. So bless the preaching of it and the hearing of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our, our passage begins with those words at that time. 
And we heard a little bit earlier of what was happening at that time, but just a bit more of the context of why Jesus spoke these words. At the very beginning of Matthew chapter 11, we're informed that Jesus' cousin John is in prison because he had criticized his political leader, Herod, for his immoral behavior. And John's not happy sitting in that dungeon. He, he's lots of time to think and he's starting to second guess himself about who Jesus is. And so he sends some of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus tells the messengers uh, to report back in verses 5 and 6. And you tell John this. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. And then he adds this, Jesus does, Blessed is the one who does not fall away or who is not offended on account of me. And then when they go back to talk to John, Jesus gives his disciples some of that on-the-job training. And he's explaining to them why it is that good people like John would end up in prison. And how people like himself are being opposed by the religious authorities. Now, I'll put it in maybe not the best way of putting it, but... It's like, look, Jesus is saying, John came eating vegan and sleeping in a van, and they say, he's off his rocker. And I come accepting all the extras and living it up a little bit, and they call me a glutton and a drunkard. And then Jesus says, this generation is like spoiled kids. It doesn't matter what game you offer them, They don't want to play. And any of us who have small children uh, knows of what Jesus speaks. There are those times where you can't win. And then come those startling words from what later he, he says, this lowly and gentle Jesus denounces the towns in which his miracles had occurred. Because they did not repent. He issues strong warnings in verse 24, just before our passage. It will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for them cities. And it's in that context and at that time that Jesus says in verse 25, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your gracious will. Or, this is what you were pleased to do. Well, what are these things that apparently Sunday school children were getting but the university grads, if I may, were missing. And why would it be God's gracious will, His desire, 
that the wise and the learned don't get what the children do. Shouldn't everyone get it? In fact, aren't they the kind of people you would want to get it? They're intelligent, they're well-educated, influential in their culture, they've got life experience. Well, in answer to that, first of all, Jesus is not rejoicing in the fact that there are those who do not believe. He doesn't give thanks ever for reprobates. He's not grateful that there's unbelief. He's always, even here, calling for faith. Neither is Jesus saying that wisdom and, or being intelligent is useless. He's not condemning in any way intellectual power. He himself is all wise. There's no intellect comparable to Christ. What Jesus is speaking against is intellectual pride. Intellect doesn't shut Jesus out, but pride does. Sharp minds can and do come to Christ, but self-made know-it-alls, those who pride themselves in what they know, or who, as Proverbs said, those who lean on their own understanding have no need of trusting the teacher. So Jesus isn't looking for ignorance. He's calling for humility and the trusting innocence of a child who will accept these things. A little later in Proverbs, it talks about how we are not to be wise in our own eyes. And we're to remember how it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of knowledge. In other words, we begin to understand what God is all about and what life is about when, like kids, we have this deep awe and understanding of God, reverence for Him. So what are these things that the children are getting? At first glance, as we go on, it doesn't seem like a Sunday school lesson at all. In fact, it, it sounds a little bit more like what you'd get in seminary. And Jesus is talking here to adults in verse 27 when he makes a rather profound, even theological statement when he says, all things have been handed over or committed to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. That, that warrants rereading and letting this doctrine sink in because there's mystery and wonder attached to Jesus when He speaks like this. It's the, it's the kind of mystery that adults want to figure out while kids will sit and marvel at. It's like... Uh, an astronomer tries to figure out the night sky 
while you might say the child just sits in a dark night and is in awe. Bookish theologians will try to discover the real and historical Jesus. And kids just want to hear the story of his life. Let me digress with a little story. And it, it's, it's kind of Christmassy, but that doesn't, it makes the point. We have this preschooler uh, granddaughter, Hadley, and uh, was uh, a little over a year ago, she was coming in and all enamored with the elves and Santa. Quite excited about it, and uh, I, I smelled false teaching and myth and... <laughs> My wife gave me this look that said, don't you go there, you just leave her alone. But I, I couldn't resist, so I took what I thought was a gentle, apologetic approach. And I asked Hadley if she could please tell me who she thought Santa was. Well, Hadley, she, she's a talker. She came in, she sat, I was in my study, she sat there, and she went on to tell me all about Santa. And how, yes, he, he makes these gifts and he puts them in his sleigh and he goes all around the world and he gives gifts to everyone. And then she literally <laughs> named everyone in our family and she's talking about this and this is how she ended. I remember she said, yes, he gives gifts to everyone, even Americans. <laughs> and uh, I thought there, I don't know what they talk about in their family. Anyways, I, I later asked, I said, so what if I don't get a gift? She looked me straight in the eye. Well, then that means that you've been naughty. <laughs> she was dead serious. I, I did have a word with her mother. And in the end, I'm happy to say that, that truth won out because um, her cousin, as you were with us this morning, he was sitting beside me this morning, little Nico. <laughs> he spilled the beans to her and said, no, 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 my, my mom buys all the gifts. So now she knows that... There's no sense that our parents actually buy all the gifts. Well, what's the point? Kids will believe pretty much anything you tell them. If you tell children this amazing truth that the God of this majestic universe that we live in and enjoy, who created the world, the birds, the mountains, the rivers, the stars, that this God sent His Son into the world as a baby. They get it. They accept it. And if you tell them that this Jesus grew up and he had special power, and he healed people, raised them from the dead. In fact, he himself was raised from the dead. They accepted. Well, many learned folks don't. Jesus has just communicated the core of the gospel message, how the Father committed all things to him. That's central teaching. God chose Jesus through whom to accomplish all his work on earth. Gave him all authority and power. And in Jesus' day, the kids could see it. 
They were in awe of him and they saw how incredibly lowly and humble he was. And that's why they were willing to crawl up on his lap. But the top theologians of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees, were busy trying to figure him out, dissecting every move, keeping him at a safe distance. It's like God presented them with this jewel and they won't wear it. They want to put it under a microscope and scratch it up to see if it's real. Listen, Jesus is saying, no one knows the Father like I do. And we have this rich, beautiful relationship. He knows me as well. And the kicker is that this deep, glorious relationship of love and unity is for anyone. But we don't get to set the terms of endearment. This is the startling truth, which as we receive it, it alters our life. How we view ourselves and how we view others. That God has come to us as this gift from above through Christ. And in His living and in His dying and being raised again, He has revealed the heart of God. His incredible love and compassion for people. And anyone who today through the Spirit of Jesus will accept that this is true and listen to the words of Jesus will be drawn into this beautiful, loving relationship. Comprehending who Christ is does not require a high IQ or seminary education. All you and I need to know about God and how to live in His world starts and ends with listening to and obeying the voice of Christ. Jesus is the center of all thought. In him, says Paul, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so no one is going to help us think more clearly about this world than Christ. He carries the secret to knowing God's predestiny for this world, and for our own personal lives. Scott preached on it somewhat this morning. You know how in all things, what God is working for the good, that we might become more and more like Christ. That's our destiny that he set in place many years ago and is accomplishing in Christ. And so God says, you want to understand me? I'm doing all of my creating and communicating through Christ. And that's why he has every right to go on and say, come to me, 
all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. You take my yoke upon you and you learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a powerful word for our weary world. Burdened by so much. We've somewhat come through all of the controversy and divisiveness that COVID brought about. But we live in a politically divided world. There's a free-for-all free of ideologies. And these things can be exhausting. As we try to eke out a living, as people do, and trying to discover, who am I? What's my real identity? And there, how many aren't tired of never really measuring up? And they're searching for ways to know who they are. Trying to be successful. And to them and to us all, Jesus offers peace and rest. It really doesn't matter where we go, it does it. There's confusion in our world. In the business world, in politics as we've mentioned, in education, and even the church. People are pushing their agendas, their theories. It's a competitive world where... Some win, many lose, and most everyone gets worn out. That's why we love to get on a plane, <laughs> go somewhere and just forget it all. You know, in Jesus' day, the ones that he was speaking to, they were particularly burdened by a combination of political hardships and religious obligations, uh, legalism. A, a system of thought and behavior that was next to impossible for them to keep. And unfortunately, if we aren't careful, church can become that kind of pressure and obligation when we start to force things. Or as I've experienced it and sometimes been a part of, we're going to make things happen in the name of God <laughs> and get out of the way. And that's when things get ugly and, and souls can be scarred and hearts can be made weary by the varying uh, obligations and the accompanying tension that can build. I've lived with it. At times I myself have been responsible for pushing these kinds of results and not being patient enough in community to really ask what is the true way of Christ together. And I've, I think at times this is part of why our culture has thrown religion out. They see a part of it that it makes them tired just looking at it. Or perhaps they've been a part of it and it's stripped the joy out of their life. Now, in all fairness, those who have such critiques about the church, somewhat valid, 
if you ask them, have they found more rest without religion? And we have to say, absolutely not. They're still in a big search. But here's the point. And none of us are exempt from it. We all need to be drawn by the heart of Jesus. And there's no better teacher than him. So humble. And so meek. You know, that word meek is a word that was also used of Moses. He was described as the meekest man on all the earth. And uh, he was no pushover. And Jesus himself humbled himself, revealed his meekness in how he submitted, lowering himself to enter this world, to do the will of the Father. And in the process, as he engaged, he confronted and exposed the powers and authorities of his day, showing how ugly they were. He, he entered this political mess of his own day. And in the end, it wearied him to death. And in the process, he shows God's compassion. That he did it out of love. To reach humankind. And this Jesus is the one who invites us to come to him. Come to him not, you know, all cleaned up, (laughs) full of energy, but empty. Or really, maybe not empty, maybe carrying our burdens, our junk, and our weariness, and all the stuff that we're trying to carry through life. He says, simply come to me. I was struck one time by a line in a book by Os Guinness called The Call. He says, We're not primarily called to do something or go somewhere. We are called to someone. We are not called first to special work, but to God. To Jesus. And it's like Augustine learned, you've heard the quote, but he learned it the hard and slow way. I just finished reading through his confessions where it took him such a long time to realize that his heart was continually restless until he came to rest in God, in Jesus. And once we come to him and we set at his feet all of our self-centered pride and our greed and our lust, as well as set at his feet perhaps the good stuff, all of our our hard work and our church attendance and whatever it is. It's then that Jesus gives us something to do. But up to that point, there's nothing we can do or be except to simply hear his voice and come. Resting in Jesus, and as we finish up his words, is not a recipe for laziness. No one who enters Christ's sphere of influence is going to be bored or unemployed. Come to me, says Jesus, you'll find rest, but I'll also give you a yoke. 
Yokes were cut and measured like a tailored suit to fit on the back of a mule so that it could carry the load without pain. Something like a, a dentist, you know, makes a, a mold or a bridge and shaping it so that it's comfortable and you can bite hard <laughs> uh, without pain. In the same way, God lays on each one of us a comfortable yoke. As in the process of through our life coming to Christ, our hearts are softened and strengthened by His love. And we come to see the needs of others. Christ stirs in us with His Spirit. Sometimes He stirs through a holy discontent. His Something in us is upsetting or angry, makes us angry. And uh, that may be something that God is saying, I want you to do something about that. But the point being, the more our hearts are in tune with Christ, the more we become in tune as He was with the hurts that need healing and the problems that are waiting for a solution. What discourages us often, and I I don't like this myself, but what discourages us often is something that God may want us to do something about. And we ought to bring such matters to the Lord. And then be prepared that as he comforts us and gives us rest, he will likely lead us out of our comfort zone to help others in their time of need. To discover what the yoke of Christ is, what he's calling us to do, we must be eager continually to learn from Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And as we learn, we learn how to do God's good and perfect will. If we love Jesus, we will do what he asks. As he said that you love me, you will keep my commandments. And it won't be burdensome. When we do a task out of obedience, we'll know it is the yoke of Jesus because we will be able to wear it and it won't wear us out. Oh, we may get tired. The kind of tiredness that is a healthy kind. At the end of the day, you've just done a really good day of activity. But it won't be this frustrating weariness that makes us want to quit. Or if it does, we ought to be asking the Lord, Is this your yoke? Is this what you are asking me to carry? Have I picked this up, Lord? Or is this something that you've given for me to do? You know, it's not always. I haven't found it always easy to know. It takes practice. 
practice to know if we're responding to the spirit of Jesus or if we're feeding what might be a false desire or simply giving in to the weakness or desire of the flesh. It's helpful to ask them ourselves some questions. Is what we're doing or wanting to do in line with Scripture? And I'll end with some of these questions. Does this thought or this action actually bring me closer in relationship with my Lord? What do my trusted friends in Christ think of what I'm doing or want to do? And will it benefit others and build up the kingdom of God? And does it fit with who God made me to be? In the end, the key is to see Christ and to receive his word and to allow his spirit to speak whatever he has to say. I'll end by reading this verse in what I think is a faithful, I'll call it translation of Eugene Peterson. He puts these last words this way. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, sometimes we confess that we're a little bit where Moses found himself. We don't want to go on, Lord, unless you come with us. And sometimes we are like Israel. We've been disobedient. And therefore, you wanted to take distance. But we want you, Lord, in our lives. And we're thankful that, unlike Moses, today we can see your glory. You've revealed it fully to us in Jesus, your Son. And so we pray that you will help us, Lord Jesus, to always hear your voice and to be eager to obey. We confess that in our pride and self-determination, we've sometimes avoided you and been impressed by the offerings of our world and we've pursued, pursued our own plans. So help us to be humble enough to see your heart, quiet enough to hear your voice and so grant us a childlike willingness and adult-like courage to do what you invite us to do. And as our restless spirits more and more find their rest in you, Lord Jesus, will you liberate us to serve you and others in the power of your love, joy, and peace. Amen. I'm going to 